0: You're You're listening listening to BQN, BQN. assimilate Assimilate the the audio.
1: Welcome listeners to another episode of All Good Things, a Star Trek Universe podcast here on the BQN and Fandom Podcast Network. I'm your host, Kelvin. With me today are Mark, Christos, and Amy. Heldor Joy, everyone. How are we? Hello. Hello. Hello Merry
0: Christmas and Happy New Year, listeners.
2: How are you doing, Kelvin?
1: I'm really good, thank you. It's so good to see you all. Uh, I know it's a very busy weekend for everyone, so just getting us all together is uh, is a a Christmas miracle all in itself. So (laughs) I'm very happy to spend Christmas with family, especially my Star Trek family. Aww.
3: how's
1: uh how's everything been for you guys what have you been up to uh yesterday mark just for the listeners it's boxing day today on the day of recording the 26th so how how are you feeling mark have you overindulged on all the food are you uh feeling a bit lethargic
3: oh uh absolutely i i, I think that's probably what's causing my uh lethargy this morning is i i, I did have um I don't know there's something got my stomach all upset and I'm just not I'm not 100% today but uh I'll just blame the holiday <laughs> I should be better soon
1: <laughs> oh no well I hope you feel better soon maybe uh, hopefully we can perk you up and uh, and bring a bit of joy to your day oh you always do oh. no doubt there and how was your big day yesterday Amy
0: Well, it was really enjoyable. Uh, For the first time in a couple years, uh, I got to spend Christmas with my father. He's now living with me. And so I did a lovely brunch and had some mimosas and a brunch casserole and opened a few gifts. And then we decided to go see a movie. But man, the lines were so long and we were there in the casino. So we sat down and played a couple of games, and my brother won $2,000.
1: No way. Whoa. <laughs> I know. How much did he spend up front to get that?
0: 100.
1: No, lovely. Yes.
0: He, I know. I lost 100. His wife lost 100. He wins $2,000. This just always happens to my brother. He's, he's yeah. very lucky.
1: I hope he paid for the popcorn. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and where were you for Christos uh, for Christos for Christmas, Christos?
2: <laughs> uh, I was over at my cousin's house here in San Diego. She lives about a half an hour away from me, and we had a gorgeous, gorgeous sunny eighty degree day here in San Diego yesterday. While wow. so quite thankful for that, while most of the United States has been under this polar vortex, literally. Um, it was great. Uh, my aunt and uncle, uh, my cousins were there. Had some great vegan food. I was uh, very happy. Had a lot of wine, but I'm not feeling any worse for it today. So I guess I um, I did it right.
1: Excellent. Good stuff. Good stuff.
0: And what about you,
1: Kelvin? Uh, it was just me and my partner James. Um, a bit disappointing, really. James was unwell yesterday, so uh, and oh. he, he just. A 24-hour bug it came on him on Christmas Eve we were having our traditional watch re-watch of Star Trek Generations on Christmas Eve as we always do and he said halfway through I, I feel a bit unwell and he was uh, vomiting all evening so he didn't know oh, didn't drink yesterday and just was a little bit under the weather and so yeah we was it was fine it was just not our usual yeah timetabled events of you know, nine a.m. open wine, <laughs>
2: <laughs> <Night> birthday, birthday <laughs> breakfast.
1: <laughs> oh. So it was, uh, it was quite quiet, but it was nice. We've been out today. He feels a lot better today. Oh, good, oh, good. So yeah, it's just that time of year, isn't it? There's a lot of bugs going around. Everyone always thinks, oh, it's COVID, but it's just norovirus yeah. or something. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty
3: sure I don't have COVID. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right. Well, Mark over to you
3: now it's time for
1: all good world
3: from las vegas to boston usa to canada and south america from the united kingdom to south africa from russia to australia the south pacific and beyond this is all good world Each episode, we highlight a different location around the globe where this podcast has reached. Today's episode, we love to give a special shout out to Nicaragua. I am not sure if we have covered Nicaragua yet, but we have some listeners there. So hey, guys down in Nicaragua. Uh, originally inhabited by various indigenous cultures since ancient times, the region was conquered by the Spanish Empire in the 16th century. Nicaragua gained independence from Spain in 1821. The Mosquito Coast followed a different historical path, being colonized by the English in the 17th century and later coming under British rule. It has become an autonomous territory of Nicaragua in 1860 and is the northernmost part. uh, Oh, and its northernmost part was transferred to Honduras in 1960. Since its independence, Nicaragua has undergone periods of political unrest, dictatorship, occupation, and fiscal crisis, including the Nicaraguan Revolution in the 1960s and 70s and the Contra War of the 80s. So uh, what's interesting about Nicaragua is there's been a whole influx of all these different cultures uh, intermixing with the, uh, I guess, the Aboriginal people of that area uh, throughout the centuries so it's a really uh, diverse and multicultural uh, area on the planet uh and it's tropical so you know
1: i'd love to visit <laughs> it's a political hotbed but at least it's tropical thanks mark oh you got that right you got that right <sighs> so let's uh let's get on with it today amy what are we communicating about today
0: i see what you did there Well, listeners, we have our new series, Hailing Frequencies, which is going to explore communication in Star Trek. And we have been teasing this for quite a while. (laughs) And it's definitely something that stood out for me in watching season four of Discovery. Um, Now, I just want to throw out a little warning that we may get political and share some personal opinions. And there's a fine line between sharing a personal experience and saying, I've seen this versus making generalizations. So we will be walking that tightrope quite a bit today and knowing that we are trying to distinguish between those two. Um, But I would like to say that we are coming from a perspective of an initial belief that everyone can communicate with each other. Um, interesting when in teaching, I am evaluated and literally it says the teacher believes that all students can learn. Like I'm evaluated. Do I have that philosophy? And I believe that every person can effectively communicate. Um, now I don't want to speak for everyone, but do you guys believe that? Yes, you can communicate with any person, even your biggest foe or the Mr. Trump,
2: (laughs) just going
1: to
0: throw that (laughs) out there, Christos.
2: Um, I think for the most part, yes, you're right. And and first and foremost, I will say, I think people are here for our individual opinions because otherwise, you know, we'd all just be robots talking the same stuff. But um, I think the last couple of years have taught us sometimes we have to know when to walk away from a discussion because the other person's just not listening. Some people choose not to listen, although you may be articulating your point. Great. But some people just choose to believe what they want to believe and you cannot reason with them. And I have had to learn for my own sanity and my own mental well-being to be know when to stop and walk away because I'm only doing myself harm by trying to continue to. Um, bring somebody around
1: oh that's interesting and is is that been personal or professional personal
2: i think professional is a little different we have to find you know you have to find a way to make things work excuse me but um from personal you know actually from a professional standpoint i avoid certain topics because i know They are controversial and really that's not the place for them. So I don't talk a lot of politics at work, for an example, because I know some of the politics of people I work with are counter to mine and it I don't need to have any sort of, um, you know, blowout in that environment. So I just avoid the conversation altogether.
0: So I'm going to. Challenge you and push that a little more. And I understand what you're saying. Like there comes a point where it's like, okay, my time and energy is not being used here, but is it because you're trying to save those resources or is it a belief that you cannot reach them?
2: Yeah, and I, I guess I can give a personal example. I ha- there are people I know that don't believe that the insurrection on our Capitol happened two years ago, that it was all Hollywood actors. It was all put on that. That didn't happen. And how do you deal with that? You can show right. all the facts in the world. Most of us watched it live on television as it was happening in real time. But when a person fundamentally doesn't want to believe that things happen like that it literally happened in front of our face or they excuse it like what do you do with that you can show them all the news in the world you can show them all the trials you can show them all the hearings but at what point do you just say okay i just don't you you're too far gone i'm not even going to try It's, you know otherwise you're just going to get your own blood pressure up and cause yourself harm
1: wow so Thank thank the Lord fast. you got the uh, the disclaimer in there, Amy. We've gone straight in there with the politics already. <laughs> <laughs> so this is everyone new knows series, I for no punches. <laughs> this, this, this new series is exploring <laughs> communication within Star Trek as a whole. So what is this episode specifically focusing on, Amy? What what topic have you chosen here?
0: So we're going to be covering uh, Discovery, sort of the three episodes um, I mainly focused on, but sort of because Discovery is, you know, this big, long season arc. Um, but uh, season, episode three, Anomaly, and then episode 11 and 12, which would be Rosetta and Species 10C. That's the bulk of where I'm pulling these themes and ideas. And I would like to cover today... Our initial assumptions, our defenses, and sort of some communication logistics, like the the actual how are we communicating. So let's get into our initial assumptions. And I think uh, Discovery did a great job in looking at different ways to approach uh, someone who you might have a difference with or, uh, or for the first time. And when in the tribunal, and this op- occurs in episode three anomaly, they have everyone standing around again. I don't know why there's no chairs, but everyone's standing around and sharing their opinions on how are we going to communicate with species 10 C after we get their coordinates and the options that come around, we can attack and show of force We can learn to communicate with it. We can build contingency plans or we can understand its motives because intent and context is important. So what really stood out to me as I was watching this, like, oh my gosh, there are multiple ways that we can approach an initial communication. Because sometimes like I think, well, the only way to approach this person is this path A. Or... If someone's talking to me and I'm like, well, the only reason they're talking to me is because of this path A. But can we open our mind and say maybe they're coming at us from a different perspective?
1: Well, let's not forget the initial assumption from this story arc in Discovery was the, the attacks of the you know the anomaly so there is a huge initial assumption there straight away you know we're at risk we're going to be killed this is this malevolent force have we done something wrong why are they attacking us so that kind of option of do we attempt to communicate and negotiate or do we just attack them as a form of defense so i think that that comes out it within star trek discovery here but in real life, when this happens to us, and it's, you know, almost like a neutral initial assumption, someone's communicating with us, you do form these judgments of what is someone's motivation? Do they want something from me? Is it a transactional relationship? Are they, is there genuine interest? Are they, you know, what's in it for me? What's in it for them almost? And these kind of things you might not think happen, but they happen in a split second. That's just the way our minds work. And, you know, there's all the sayings, you know, never judge a book by its cover and don't prejudge people. But these are challenging things that people have done since childhood. You know, so it is really, really interesting to think, why is this communication happening in the first place? What do you think, Christos?
2: I think... I'm spot on with what you said there. And I think that's where our relationships really come into play, because when you have somebody who is a, say a partner, a husband, a wife or a best friend, you, you know, mother, father, you may trust that person. Like you, you let that person maybe in a lot closer to you and you don't necessarily question motives when that person speaks to you. But when you've met a stranger, you might have that deep, that wall may go up until you have decided, can I trust this person? On what level do I trust this person? Um, Other examples could be, you know, like if somebody has burned you in the past, are you going to be suspicious of them again? So I think our relationship and our history with the person can really factor in to how we we view a person, how we view a conversation and, and questioning
1: that. There's your first discovery pun of uh, holding a grudge.
2: The cats. The cats. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I also want to just like, in terms of discovery, um, it's really kind of not funny, but just um, how when, you know, this season starts off, and, you know, they, I think they spend like the first three or four episodes thinking that, um, you know, the Tennessee, we'll call it, that that whole thing is just a natural phenomenon that's happening. And only by about episode four or five do they come to find out that it's intentional. And I, I think we, we forgot to mention a very critical episode that probably people wanna will wanna, if they're looking back on this one, and it's, um, but to connect, I think that's episode mm-hmm. six. And Amy, I think that's the episode that has like the whole big discussion on whether to oh. attack or whether to try peaceful communication. I think that's um, probably one of the more pivotal episodes In the context that we're talking about it,
0: what you're saying, like having that personal relationship and you know who you're communicating with, but again, that sort of goes back to um, getting to know. And we need more information before we can effectively communicate. And I love when Saru's like, you know, we need to explore speculation and try to cover all angles and perspective to try and figure out and not jump to assumptions. And it is a very hard not to jump to a conclusion that they want to destroy us because of what the DMA did. Literally Booker lost his entire planet. Like how can you not assume that they want to destroy us? That's where, you know, like talking to someone on the other side of the political spectrum, how can we not assume when we see what the actions are, can we change that perspective? And like, surveillance I think was interesting and it pointed out that the Vulcan surveyed earth for 200 years before first contact so yeah so we need the surveillance and to build that relationship but oh it's tough how much time do you give it before communicating
1: yeah you you started off by saying Amy about the ways we communicate uh, with someone who we're at odds with so I'm curious how as mature adults maybe we've changed our strategies over the years about communicating with someone you're at odds with because as as a child you would probably just go in straight carry on the argument or go on the attack and as adults we have different ways of of dealing with has anyone got any kind of thoughts or maybe reflections on how you might have changed how you communicate someone uh, with someone who you're at odds with or at a difference with well, um,
3: I would say that for me, finding the commonalities between myself and that person uh, might not have been something that I would have done maybe, you know, 10, 15 years ago, but it's something that I definitely have learned uh, can be beneficial and that, you know, as different as somebody might appear, there are going to be some things, um, even for the most distant person that you can align with and find agreement on Um, and I think it's important that when you're in those, especially like in the work environment in your, in the, in those situations, um, to reach out for those, those common, common areas that can connect you because otherwise, you know, it might not drive the other person crazy, but you're going to be driving yourself crazy. If you just hold on to this, this negative energy towards this other, other person, it's like, it's not going to make that work environment. Good. The other person might be fine, but you might be over there doing, oh, I've got to work with this person again. (laughs)
1: Yeah. absolutely Amy
0: yeah building off what you said Mark like I've noticed I listen with intent and try and find like you said that commonality like what why are they saying this like get to not to what they're saying but why they're saying because there might be like you said a common ground of what are they afraid of or what are their desires what are their hopes and then maybe I can have that commonality and say, oh, yeah, I experienced that as well. So I notice that I listen a lot more and not try and talk
2: over.
1: Yeah, Christos? That, that's a great point.
2: That, I think that's where that whole saying that we have, you have two ears and one mouth that so you should listen twice as much as you talk. I, I, I might not know what that means. But anyways, um, I think for me personally, I think this is where Star Trek has really helped me in some ways because I, I've tried, you know, in the last 10 years or so, I probably have taken more of a Vulcan approach to my interactions where I try to A, keep calm, do not get so passionate that I am eclipsing my own, um, uh, my you know, I, I'm taking out my own validity because I'm just so emotional. And be using facts, data, and whatnot to make my point. So it's a little bit harder to refute. And and being open to that coming at me, by the way, because, you know, sometimes I'm wrong. And you need to be open to that. You have, you cannot, if you approach everything with, I'm right, um, and you cannot accept that sometimes you may be wrong, I think you have to be open to that. And you have to be open to, uh, a fresh perspective coming at you. And, and be be able to be big enough to say, oh yeah, you're right.
1: I, a, a strategy of mine has always been to just let people exhaust themselves, especially if they're coming at me with um, some kind of hurling abuse or just really getting their points across. I, I, I do listen intently with like, nodding my head, uh uh-huh, active listening skills. Just let them get it all out and wait my turn because then, you, you know, they're not that frustrated that you've A, cut them off or spoke over them. In In a professional setting, I've sometimes had that go against me around the kind of the director's table. I've had feedback that sometimes I am a little bit too much of a passenger in a conversation and I need to speak up more. Uh, but that's just because I don't like competing i i you know two people shouting isn't a, a communication um but i like a very old uh message that i learned back in the day when i worked in hospitality and it was the acronym learn and it was about complaint handling when a customer is making a complaint to you as their server and they say you listen empathize apologize rectify or notify and the last two are depending on your kind of your whether you're a manager or not and I I, it's such a you know so naff it was just something from a chain of restaurants that head office would pass down but I love it and just that thing of listening to someone empathize with them and that comes what we said about establishing rapport what you said Mark and that kind of apologizing uh, and just making someone know that they've been heard and even when it comes to rectify or nothing, you might be completely powerless to change the situation. But at least you've listened, you've empathized. Oh, yes, that must be horrible for you. And then you've apologized, and usually that just diffuses everything. So I've carried that through with me through for all my professional career.
0: Well, you learn something new every day. I love that. Oh my gosh, learn! Oh, I love acronyms. <laughs> <laughs> so. As we were talking, I just recently had an interaction uh, with my father, who tends to be very Republican, and we saw something about guns and shooting and that whole debate, and he was coming at me, well, do you think that we should have guns in America I'm like, oh my gosh. I said, dad, I don't want to have this discussion with you. We have had it multiple times. We are on different sides. And yes, Christos. I was like, okay, I'm just done having this argument because everything I say with the facts of the shootings and looking at other countries that don't have shootings because they don't have guns. Anyways, I was just like, dad, I'm not going to get into this with you. Let's talk about something else. I had to push him off three times with the conversation. Like, no, 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 no. He comes back the next day, much more willing to listen. You, you, I could tell in the tone of his voice, Amy, I really am curious. Why do you believe this? And I thought, okay, this is when I can communicate because now he's willing to listen. So by pushing it off just a little bit, when I knew that if I was speaking i would be heard that he would be wanting to hear my perspective
2: yeah it's, it's kind of a, in a way a, a way of a, a form of punishment and by saying i'm not going to engage you if you're going to constantly come at me like this but if you come at me and meet me halfway and you show me you're willing to listen i will have this conversation and that's really good because like you said, you've, you chose not to do that yesterday or the day before, whatever, because you, you, you wanna protect yourself. You're like, I can't do this. I'm not gonna get mad on Christmas day and yeah. get my blood pressure up because I know you're just picking a fight. And that's, I, think that's, I think that's a good way of saying it. You kind of gotta know when someone's picking a fight and trying to yeah. get you wound up and when they're actually willing to communicate.
3: It definitely takes two to have um, an adult discussion if only one side is willing to come to the table and actually have Mm -hmm. that type of discussion, then you might as well be talking to a brick wall. I mean, even like uh, even my dog who can't like verbalize to me um, things that I'm saying to him, he does listen and understand. And I can tell when he's ignoring me or when he's listening to me and when he's willing to uh, to just agree to go along with what I want to do. It's like, It's the same with with people. It's like you're going to be talking to some person and there'll be cues, verbal or nonverbal, that it's important to pay attention to because it's all different um, ways of communication, um, not just uh, what we're saying.
0: Which is a great segue to the next topic that I wanted to talk about, which is this hyperfield that is surrounding the species 10C. And I looked at the hyperfield as sort of our defenses of why we aren't communicating, why aren't we talking to each other? So, if species 10C has created this hyperfield, how do we keep our defenses up?
2: For me, the, the isolation field, or what do we call it? Hyperfield, it's, it's the allegory for isolationism. We are going to put this, you know, and people say that the United States should go into isolationism. It's a very politic, big political topic right now. We should just put up a big shield around ourselves and take care of ourselves. And at the, you know, it doesn't matter what that costs other people, i.e., you know, the, uh, the, uh, the DMA hurting other planets and other people. We don't care about that. The means are we take care of ourselves. And the hyperfield is that allegory to isolationism.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: So yes. But, what is our makeup? What is our hyperfield?
1: Yeah, but it, it doesn't have to be complete isolation. It can just be this kind of protection, defense meth uh, methodology of you know like using humor for deflection, those kind of things.
0: Yeah, and protecting ours. Like our extended family or those who yeah. think like us, like that yeah. protection cannot just be around an individual, but an entire group.
1: Yeah, I I, I think a, a basic one, and again, going into health and safety mode, which is my my profession, is the the first rule of risk assessment is: do we need even need to do this at all? So you eliminate the risk altogether by not doing the activity. Um, So I often just don't put myself in a situation where I'm going to have to lower my shields or, you know, turn off my hyperfield. And that might be not mixing or not spending a lot of time with people who I know maybe are not not necessarily not on my wavelength, because I don't just want an echo chamber of like minded people. But sometimes if you know you're going to be uncomfortable in a situation or it's something that you're not particularly going to enjoy, I just wouldn't put myself through it and not to go kind of too deep on this, uh, but kind of this time of year, like uh, with family, you know, I, 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 sh- I, struggle sometimes with my family that they're not the most open-minded of people. And the, you know, the thing about the family you're given and your chosen family, I, often come away from them feeling quite frustrated after some conversations so I don't spend a huge amount of time with them I have that transactional relationship I do the necessary send the Christmas cards buy the presents wish them a happy happy Christmas happy holidays and leave it at that and then go back to my lovely little world with you guys um so that's my methodology is initially don't put myself in that situation if I can help it what do you think Christos so I think that's sort of like for
2: me, the phrase, you know, suffering fools gladly kind of comes into play. The older I get, the less tolerant I am. And I'm the more I'm more selective about who I surround myself with because I just don't have time for that. And it's in terms of sci-fi reflecting itself on, on popular culture too. I mean, we kind of always have that funny way of saying shields up. I I know people who don't. Like our Star Trek people or Star Wars people, and they they'll use that phrase. Like I'm, I'm walking in to see my mom. Shields up, you know what I mean? Because they have to put that kind of like prepare themselves mentally because they know it's going to be a conversation that could be draining. You know whether somebody's mother may nitpick at them or you know question their life choices or whatnot, and they don't you know. But they're 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 going to go have that conversation because that's their mother, and they're going to do that. So they tend to you know, like put these layers up around them in order to kind of protect themselves and just be prepared for it. The problem with that is when we run around with shields up or hyperfields up and things like that, it takes a lot of energy and hence formite, more, more allegories. It takes a lot of energy to run like that. And people who run around with their shields up all the time often don't allow themselves to have close, meaningful relationships because they're always you know, they—they're just always—they they won't let that down to let people in. So it's—it's it's a danger.
1: Yeah, having your shields up all the time is again using the Star Trek allegory as a defense because nothing can get through. But it's also sometimes things don't get out either. So people with their shields up constantly might be protected, but they—they—they're not the most warm people. They're not people you will naturally gravitate to because people sense that something is either being held back or they're a little bit standoffish. And even under the best of circumstances, they might just come across as being a little bit boring. So, Mm -hmm. you know, why would you want to? Um, So, yeah, I think it, it is interesting if all these people are protecting themselves with shields up. Did you say your mom actually does say that to you when you're having a tense conversation? Oh, here we go. Shields up. I love that.
2: Oh, no, 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 no. My mom does this. I've seen people do that to talk to their mom. And I mean, I guess uh-huh. maybe I, I have done that myself, you know, like, you know, like, okay, here we go. You know, depending on what the topic is, you know, it's like, you know, uh, you just think someone's going to come in at you or you expect it to be hmm. an uncomfortable conversation. So you, you put that like, it's a mental, okay, here we go. You ever see someone just take a deep breath before they go into a conversation? It's almost like that. Hmm okay, I'm preparing myself for this. I'm getting my mental stamina ready and I'm bracing
1: myself. Yeah. What are your coping strategies, Amy?
0: Yeah, I've, oh man, this is getting deep. Um, (laughs) So I was thinking um, that engagement as you were talking, I feel that sometimes I come off as boring because, I I do like that more surveillance, try and figure it out. And I have a tendency to not share at that initial conversation, right? Like when you're inside my personal hyperfield, then yes, there's love and yeah, we're good. But when you're outside of my hyperfield, I feel like I come off across as boring and I don't want to engage because I don't want to share who I am. And it's stupid. And it just goes back to trust. Um but then also on the flip side I have been excluded. I have not been allowed into, you know, people's hyperfield. And in terms of like relationship-wise, like my last one who you all know. Um I wanted to go inside the hyperfield. Like I wanted to have that trust and that communication and that relationship. But I couldn't get through. And I've thought a lot about why couldn't I get through that barrier. And sometimes it comes down there's nothing wrong with you, it's them because they've got their hyperfield. Like they And so again, trying to find that commonality I just feel that it was fear mm. um, that you don't allow someone inside your hyperfield. Um, there's,
1: there's definitely nothing wrong with you. There's clearly something wrong with the universe.
0: <laughs> oh, Yay, make on, to
2: <laughs> Oh no! I, I think it's so spot on because you know, it you know, relationships are hard, right? And you know, the older we get and, you know, Amy and I have talked about this offline several times, just like, you know, I'm I'm in a good place in life. I've got my act together. I, you know, I, um, I know who I am. I know what I will and will not put up with, blah, blah, blah. So when you meet somebody else, you're like, and you find out that maybe they're not at that exact spot. It's like, do you engage or do you pull back? It's like, no, you've got some growth to do. You've got some things to work out. You're not ready for this. Or are you willing to take on that and and know that that's going to potentially be a limiting factor in your relationship? So it's, and like I said, the older I get, the more being alone is fine. <laughs> <laughs> that might be very counter. <laughs> Maybe my hyper field is too strong. I don't know, but... <laughs> On the other hand, I am happy.
0: So that gets us to like, why do we have these hyperfields? And discovery answers that question. Um, well, the species 10C lost their entire planet. They had fear, loss, and pain, and those emotions kept coming through the entire season. And then that got me thinking, like, if everyone experiences fear loss and pain why can't we use that as a commonality to communicate effectively with each other
1: so i noticed this a lot in discovery in my rewatch and there's two specific examples but i looked at it in a different way and maybe it was more the the interaction with book and um, the uh, is it Nagoya? Um, the, the, the one who kind of starts passing Did the, the, the sabotage general from yeah. yeah. That's it. So I look to that as classic manipulation. So he establishes rapport with Nagoya by preying on her fears of, I just lost all of my planet and people. You're about to lose yours mm. unless you do this. And that is establishing rapport but pure, pure manipulation. So I didn't look at that very favorably. I thought that was quite, you know, not the, not the done thing. But then the other example was the interaction between Buck and Reno when Reno was captured at the end. And she was talking about um, the incident where she kept someone alive on the Hiawatha because uh, they reminded them of her dead wife and that she didn't see that pain and it was all subconscious. And she used that as the the allegory of what Bucky was doing at the time. And I thought, that's amazing. So that, I know it's kind of like the ends justify the means, but that was a great way of making someone step outside of a situation and see themselves for what they're doing as opposed to trying to manipulate someone by preying on their fears. Christos?
2: Yeah, I think, I think fear, loss and pain, if you think about it, it's, it's some of the most vulnerable things in our society. We're taught, I think for the most part, it's very bad to be weak. And fear, loss and pain and being vulnerable are considered weak traits. And you know, you've got to be strong, you got to be a man, you got you know, all these toxic things that we get taught. And, you know, so in many ways, when people experience fear, loss and pain, they get tucked away and they don't get treated with. And that kind of comes into terms of talking about mental health and things like that. So if we don't deal with these things, they fester and they become far worse. Um, You've got to be open and, and have your empathy and be willing to experience things and let yourself wallow in your pain and and deal with it. You've got you've got to process these things and then move forward, not act on them. And that's what we see with book's evolution in this
1: season. Can can I just bring it back to kind of like a workplace communication though. So um there's there's a guy out there called Richard Covey who wrote a book uh, the seven habits seven habits of uh, dysfunctional teams.
0: Stephen Covey. Stephen oh, Stephen
1: Covey. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> okay. And I um my old boss the ceo of the company i used to work for he's his favorite book and he really taught those um those principles to me in the workplace and the kind of the the absence of trust if you don't have trust in any relationship or a business partnership or professional setting you won't move forward and everything that comes above it i'm not going to bore everything with everyone with but the trust aspect and the one of the easiest ways to establish trust is to make yourself vulnerable. So that kind of chink in the armor that I'm not perfect, it really, really helps establish trust. And I struggled with that for years. Like what you were just saying, Christos, about the kind of like the toxic masculinity, you've got to be strong, you've got to be perfect. I think you mentioned a couple of weeks ago as well about, you know, how people was new people to your business were saying, oh my God, he's so good at everything. And, you know, we've, we've learned these things, but, that making yourself vulnerable is so important to the point even when I've literally just before breaking up for Christmas, I've promoted two people at work into uh, new team leader roles. And one of the very first exercises I'm doing with them when we come back in a couple of weeks is I call it the timeline exercise, where you basically talk about highs and lows in your life And it can be personal, it can be professional. You know, it can be about death or breakdown of relationships or times when you've fed. And sometimes it can be quite hard to expect people to go through it. But I've done this exercise many times and it's always helped establish trust with people. So that kind of telling people about your lows in life and being seen as a human, making yourself vulnerable, is a great start to establishing trust and that kind of fear and pain principle that we mentioned.
0: You know, it's interesting when you say you want to have trust and what you were saying, Calvin, before with Book and Goye and that manipulation, like, what are we trusting? Why am I building this trust? What, What is it? And I feel like, and I just had this aha moment, that we're trusting that that other person won't have power over me, that we are in an equal power relationship, that you are not going to take advantage of me, that you aren't going to try and manipulate me and have me do something for your gain, that you are thinking of you, that I've got that trust that we are thinking of us. And that's really difficult to do because when you see how much manipulation is out there yeah i think it's that there's a trust that there's not a power play involved
2: someone once told me that everybody has an agenda everyone's got an agenda in in life and in their interactions with people it's always just a question of how far they're willing to take that agenda some people will put that first and foremost Other people will put it in the back seat. Um, So you always have to kind of question that, you know, does, like you said, does this person have power over me? Because if they do, you're going to be a little bit more guarded about how you approach that. Um, And you're going to be questioning that agenda. Like, what are they trying to get accomplished here? And of course, there goes those shields because you're kind of, you know, is are because of that perceived agenda, are you holding back? Are you, you? feel like it's a little bit of a poker game where with people and you're, you know, I'm, you got my cards and I got my cards, you got your cards and we're trying to, or do you really build trust and you show your cards? I guess a little poker analogy there, TNG fans, but um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think life is just a matter of, you know, like I said, it, it does come down to agendas and, and how dedicated you are to achieving yours. And for example, tying it back to our discussion this week, Book was dead set on accomplishing his agenda. And so was Tarka for, and that was the most important thing in their life. And to hell with any other personal relationships that they burned to get there.
0: Opening yourself up and making yourself vulnerable is definitely, we see that in discovery. Remember that scene where Burnham goes to Saru and they yell Cause Rue's like, I learned this thing. And Burnham's like, she feels that she has no control and that she's being vulnerable. And I'm like, that's exactly where we need to be in communication. Like, well, if we want to have open and honest communication, it's uncomfortable. And discovery teaches us that. I mean, that yelling scene, did you just love that yelling scene?
1: I, I, I watched it about an hour ago, and I, I did love it because I, I think there's a time and a place for everything. So for Burnham and Saru to have that relationship and clearly both be captains as well, they can take a step outside of the situation and Burnham be completely vulnerable and say, I'm struggling here. But that kind of sense of she couldn't have said that on the bridge, sat in the captain's chair with everyone sat around her, and I've I've seen examples of, of that in the workplace where people have just said, I, I don't know what to do. And sometimes it might be in front of a paying customer and you're like, oh no, you can't say things like that. Um, so I, I loved it. Um, I'm not sure how I felt about the shouting itself, uh, but I just loved the fact that she had someone to talk to. What do you think, Mark? Uh, so I've had uh, experience... Uh, with
3: that sort of primal scream therapy, before I used to live when I was in college, I lived with a uh, a DJ uh, here in Maine that has um, a recording studio in the basement, and so it was all soundproof, obviously. And there's a good space to go down there and shut the door, and I could just yell at the top of my lungs to get out whatever energy. And it did. There is a certain amount um, of, I guess, endorphins that get released when you do that. Uh, on the flip side, uh, I don't know if you guys have watched the new show uh wednesday or um what is the other one she's in yellow jackets but christina ricci everybody knows christina ricci Mm -hmm. yeah so when she was growing up her father was a well a scream therapist and he used to have sessions at her house And so all the clients being going out of her house and just screaming at each other. And it was like, I think it was like couples related to whatnot, but that was the environment she grew up in. And she said it did definitely have an effect on her Um, and her parents are no longer together and it's probably for the best. Uh, But uh, yeah, so there's like a flip side of that where it's a a little too much, Um, but, you know, taking a moment for yourself and, and, you know, going, uh and just releasing that energy i mean i think that can be good but when you are um i guess releasing it at somebody that might not necessarily be as open to the screaming um there are dangers there
1: <laughs> there's there's the ways i mean going into a room and screaming is just one way of releasing your tension and burning it off there's there's many other ways you can do that too but yeah poor Christina Ricci. That <laughs> Imagine growing up in that environment <laughs> where there's just screams around you constantly.
3: <laughs> I mean I think about it. She and you look at her as a fully formed adult, you're like, wow, how did she make it out so well adjusted? <laughs> Good
1: on her. So we've already discussed quite a lot in in this episode. And I think it's very much worthy of a of a two-parter. So I think we need some dramatic music or something, some banging drums. Da-da-da-da. Du, 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 du. We're coming back next week, Mr. Warfer. So we, we've oh, yeah. looked at barriers to communication. We've looked at the importance of making yourself vulnerable. So, um, yeah, Amy, what are your what are your final thoughts so far?
0: Well, listeners, I hope that you have enjoyed going through what goes through my mind as I'm watching Discovery <laughs> about this communication. I find it so fascinating. A little backstory my minor is in communications. Um, So I had to take classes of interpersonal communication and stuff like, so it's very intriguing to me. And I hope that we have also found a way to learn about ourselves and to learn about others so that we can have effective, honest, open communication with all of those so that we can remove our own hyperfield
1: fantastic i love that mark what are your final thoughts um
3: so final thoughts i think we we touched on uh some areas of communication and i'm actually looking forward to the second part of our discussion a little more um we're we're going to talk uh, about different forms of communication um and also uh logistics of communicating and um and dive into uh to more of these episodes so
1: yeah <laughs> excellent how about
2: you christos well I, I really enjoyed our conversation i feel like anytime we can really be honest with ourselves and i think all of us have been kind of dropping our hyperfields today in this conversation and the more we talk about how we are and how we interact and have aha moments in there I think it just makes us better. And I have I, found that, you know, being more open to people and, and feelings and being more empathetic as I get older has only been a benefit to me. So I almost feel like our conversation today was a just a little therapy session in some ways, but in a very positive way. So I really, really enjoyed our conversation. And you know, sometimes we we do our, our rewatches and we come in at this very technical, we're gonna talk very technical Star Trek stuff. But when we get into ideas and principles and, uh, you know, I think that's the foundation of Star Trek and why at the end of the day, I, 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 in fact, I'm hoping that I might actually share this episode with a few people who don't get why I love Star Trek so much and just see it as Pew Pew and, and, and Mr. Spock and Vulcans, blah, blah, blah. So um, this really episode for me was really kind of showing the other side of Star Trek.
0: Well, I did wear specifically, listeners, my disco t shirt and my com badge that is the medical because Counselor Nelson is in the house.
1: <laughs> I love that. I love that you use the pew pew example as well, there, Christos, because, you know, it, that <laughs> is a lot of what people see about Star Trek and where. We see the rest of it, so I, I'm hopeful that uh, a lot of that came across to the listeners today in terms of how we kind of transpose that onto our own views, um, experiences, and outputs of the world. So, thanks everyone. Um, we would love to what you we would love to hear what you thought of today's episode, and hope you'll join our Facebook group, the BQN Collective, to continue our discussion there. You can also tweet your thoughts to our at All Good Pod please follow the network on Twitter and Instagram at BQN Podcasts. We've also partnered with our friends at Fandom Podcast Network, where you can find us by searching the master feed. So, Christos, where can people find you when you're not using light patterns and scattering your pheromones?
2: Ah, see, people can find me on Facebook at the DQN Collective, um, also on uh, Twitter and Instagram at at GreekGeekSD, and you can also find me on my own podcast, at What's the t So, Amy, where can people find you when you're not saving the world with your extraordinary counselor efforts?
0: Well, when I'm not doing that, oh, goodness, Um, you can find me here on the network, uh, co-hosting. What am I doing? Oh, yeah. Union Federation and uh, also Galaxy Class. I am on Twitter at Miss Amy Nelson, but my favorite place right there in Facebook, BQN Collective. And Mark, where can people find you when you are communicating to Murphy and he's ignoring you?
3: (laughs) You can find me on the facebook group the bqn collective uh where i love sharing uh memes and other things you can also find me on twitter at mark white 207 and if you become a patron of the network on patreon get listen to me on my show it's green and calvin where can people find you when you are not playing nursemaid uh to james <laughs> <laughs>
1: I don't spend a lot of time doing that. (laughs) Uh, You can find me on Facebook, also on the BQN Collective, and on Twitter and Instagram at Kelvins Timeline. Please hit the subscribe button on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a star rating and written review. That helps others find the show. You can also follow the entire network's podcast with our master feed by searching VQN. This way you won't miss any of our fine shows like Union Federation, Galaxy Class, History with the Zalagis, Infinite Diversity, Mickey's Marvels, Saswatch, Trexpert's Quiz, and What's the Tea, Bev.
0: At this time, we would like to thank our associate producers, Mahendran Redakrishnan and Tim Cooper. A special thanks to Graham Kelly for our opening and closing music and Mark White for our artwork.
3: If you'd like to help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. Join the Hive to enjoy its green Amy's math moments and other network perks. With a monthly subscription of $5 or more, you can join our meetings on the Hive Mind on the second Saturday of each month. It's coming right up, people. Uh, Visit uh, patreon.com forward slash BQN to get all the details and watch your messages.
2: Thank you for listening. And we hope you'll join us
0: as we search out all
1: good things.